The Tom Woods Show, episode 2108. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. I'm giving away three free courses from my Liberty Classroom. One of them is ex-Marxist Michael Rechtenwald teaching you about critical theory so you can understand leftism and fight it better, as well as our course on how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America and the history of the conservative and libertarian movements. Check it out at 3freecourses.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. I got a few things I'm going to talk to you about today. I just returned from several days in New York City last week. Now, that is kind of an interesting place to visit in light of all the COVID stuff and what's likely to happen in the future because apparently New York is heading back toward medium-level COVID warning. And now, according to their health establishment, if they were ever to hit that, then certain, you know, let's say mitigation measures, which we laughingly call them mitigation measures, would have to come back into effect, including sweeping indoor mask mandates, the resumption of vaccine passports, except this time requiring the booster for everybody, these things would have to come into effect. And the question is, are they going to let these things come into effect and just bury the city for good? Or are they just going to quietly pretend it's not happening and just move on? And of course, if they do that, anybody who's really paying attention could say, wait a minute, if you're just quietly accepting these numbers, then why didn't you quietly accept these same numbers six months ago? And they really have no answer other than, yeah, I guess we overdid it and we just want to forget all about that and get back to normal. So it'll be very interesting to see, does New York become one of the handful of places that is just going to stick to this craziness come what may? Or are they going to join the civilized world and say, well, if you call us on it, we'll give you a mealy-mouthed response, but we'd rather just quietly pretend this isn't happening and just carry on. So nobody quite knows just yet. The commissioner of health in New York is saying that they're likely to return to the medium-level risk assessment. But the question is, are they then going to implement the various alleged mitigation measures that are supposed to be triggered by that move? So I'll be watching that and writing about that in my newsletter, which you should get and get it at TomWoods.com. I'll be keeping people posted about what exactly they wind up doing. But anyway, I was there for a few days And I got a chance to see our friend Gene Epstein, you know, who is on the show quite a bit. And he directs the Soho Forum, which is an excellent debate series in New York. And the topic wasn't one that really stirs me. It had to do with whether the U.S. should use its military power to dissuade China from making any moves against Taiwan. I mean, it was interesting enough. It's just not something that I write about or speak about, really. But it was civil and informative. And what a nice, refreshing change that is from, well, you know, every other aspect of society. I was really, really happy to be there. And I told Gene that Gene and I had plans to have lunch the next day, but I had told him I was not available to come to the debate the previous night. Turns out I was actually able to free up my schedule, but I didn't want him to know that I was coming. So Jenna and I showed up as Jim and Elizabeth Epstein, his son and daughter-in-law. I arranged with Jim. I said, I, I want to surprise your father. I don't want my name on the guest list. How do I sneak in there? He said, well, you sneak in there as my wife and me. Good old Jim Epstein, always pulling for you. So that's what we did. Gene was really pleasantly surprised. So 
it was a great, great, great event. TheSohoForum.org. Check it out. These are very much worth attending, these events. So anyway, I got to visit New York City and see it with my own eyes for several days. And I will say that for one thing, although there was more masking than there should be, there was much less than I expected. So that's something. You're supposed to wear a mask in public transportation settings, and that includes taxis. Now, I didn't use Uber this time. I did use taxis a few times. And I didn't wear one and nobody said anything. And half the time, the driver wasn't wearing one. So I found that to be interesting. I took a quick visit over to the Harvard Club of New York, and I thought this is going to be mask and vaccine passport city. I I wanted to check it out for myself because, of course, these are your elites, right? These are your overlords who feel themselves superior to you. So, of course, they're going to continue to show that alleged superiority by maintaining the vaccine passport system even after the city had abandoned it. But to my surprise, that system had indeed been abandoned by the Harvard Club. And when I was talking to somebody there who's in the membership field about that policy, the person got, even though I was not on the offensive, the person really, really got defensive and said, well, now that was the city's policy, not our policy. So I found that to be interesting also. And frankly, there was plenty of energy. New York City was really bustling while I was there. Restaurants, I just love walking down the street and there's an interesting looking restaurant, you pop right in. No driving around, just walk around. You say, hey, that looks like an interesting place and you walk right in. And it seemed like there was some life in the thing. But I'll tell you, you cannot go to Broadway, a Broadway show until you hear otherwise because they're still demanding vaccine proof and they're enforcing the masking in a particularly obnoxious way. I read an article a couple of months ago, I think, in the New York Post by somebody who had attended a play with Jordan Peterson and was talking about their experience. And it was just ridiculous that these people would take sips from their drinks and not replace the mask quite fast enough. So somebody would immediately run right over to them and hector them about this. And there were people holding signs saying, mask up. And I just can't, no way, just just not doing that. So we'll see if sanity is restored there, even though in all these other settings, everybody's just going about life as normal. So who knows what's going on on Broadway? It can't be helping things, that's for sure. They, they've been cutting down on the number of performances and stuff like that. Because obviously, if you have a vaccine passport system that excludes an awful lot of people, and of course, excludes unvaccinated children, and that most people are not getting their five-plus child vaccinated, it means that, first of all, you're undermining tourism to the city from all over the world. And secondly, it means you're cutting out a natural constituency for a lot of these productions. So we'll see what they wind up doing. Now, I have something else I want to talk about. There's an interesting new study out about the effects. It's a report card on the states. But before I get to that, I got something in the mail. Maybe you can, maybe you can hear it. There it is. Okay. I get this uh, once or twice a year. It is from the Harvard Alumni Association and the Harvard, what is it? Secretary of the Board of Overseers. And it's my job to cast a vote, like all other people, we're all qualified to cast a vote who are attendees for people to be on the Board of Overseers and on the Alumni Association. I'm just going to look at the Board of Overseers. The way I do this every year is I look through the bios, bios that each candidate submits 
to this little publication that is mailed to us. And I try to find the least destructive people. And I'll tell you, it is a struggle because <laughs> these are all terrible people. By and large, occasionally a decent one slips through. But you have to read between the lines. You have to look for the buzzwords to know. And I'm not going to say any of their names. But for example, such and such person leads NBC Universal News Group. So that includes NBC News, MSNBC. All right, well, that person's out. That's, that person's evil. So out with that person. And I won't go through them all, but you see what I mean, how difficult it is to cast a vote here. Let's see what else I got. These will all be fun. Okay. An expert in epidemiology and data science. Yeah, well, okay. Well, probably belongs in prison. Let's see what else. An accomplished photographer and champion of the arts. Okay, well, in principle, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's fine. He endowed an arts program at a hospital for children. That sounds great. Then he says, we need the arts and humanities more than ever. Okay, that's a reasonable statement. At a moment of immense social, climate, political, and economic challenges. Okay, all right, climate. I believe creativity and its artistic expression can be powerful tools for positive awareness and change that must be available and accessible to all. All right, well, all right, so he wants to propagandize about climate change through art. Okay, well, so he's out. Then we have a former chief technology officer of the United States. We have a social entrepreneur. Oh, this person was actually in my graduating class, focused on how innovation can improve people's lives. All right, I have no problem with that in principle. My life's work is to unleash the power of innovation in service of the public interest to help improve as many lives as possible. All right, public interest is kind of a weasel phrase, but it can mean something, I guess. Help launch a venture to bring clean water and medicines to rural India. Okay, well, that's, you know, that guy doesn't seem like he's directly an enemy of mankind, so that we can consider that. Okay, a former Massachusetts public health commissioner. Okay, out, immediately out. That's half a sentence and you're out. And then a cabinet-level senior advisor to Mayor Michelle Wu. Okay, now you're out times 10 because this is the mayor who introduced the Boston Vaccine Passport Program. So you're out. So you see what, I mean? see what it's like trying to figure out which people to choose for this stupid thing? Oh, my gosh. All right. I put that away. Hey, folks, as part of my sponsor message for BitTrust IRA, let me tell you what I gave two of my daughters for Christmas this year. I gave each of them one one-hundredth of a Bitcoin. Now, if you don't know about Bitcoin, that might not sound like a lot, but these days it kind of is. And I thought that giving them a stake in Bitcoin would be a great way to introduce them to it. And of course, a lot of people have become very interested in Bitcoin, especially over the past several years, and they know they should hold it, but the cryptocurrency world can be confusing. Well, one thing a lot of people have been doing is adding Bitcoin to their retirement accounts. And BitTrust IRA helps you seamlessly and securely add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. BitTrust IRA stores your private keys in nuclear bunkers with military-grade encryption. Plus, they have a 24-7 trading platform with no minimum investments and unlimited trades, plus a team to help guide you along the way if you have any questions. They also offer the lowest trading fees in the industry. Go to bittrustira.com woods today to learn more. And for a limited time, BitTrust IRA is waiving the sign-up fee for Tom Woods Show listeners. That's a $50 value. That's bittrustira.com slash woods. B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A dot com slash woods. Now let's turn to the other topic that I wanted to cover today. And that is a brand new study. And it's kind of an update of a previous study from some time ago. 
And it's released by the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research. And it's called A Final Report Card on the State's Response to COVID-19. It's written by Phil Kirpin, who's done a lot of good commentary on all this. Stephen Moore, you read in the Wall Street Journal, he's with the Heritage Foundation. And Casey Mulligan of the University of Chicago. And what they've done is they've been looking at the states, 50 American states, and tried to examine them from the point of view of three metrics, the economy, education, and mortality, to see if any clear pattern emerges between the lockdown policies and success in these three areas. Or just to talk about how well various states did in these three areas, and then look at what was their lockdown policy, what interventions were used in those states. Now, I find this interesting because the thing is, I'm not looking for the results to be that all the non-lockdown states did the best and all the lockdown states did the worst. What I expect to see instead is that there is no clear pattern. And there is no clear pattern is a crushing indictment of what was done for two years. Because let's remember, when these initiatives were imposed on us, They were imposed with the assurance that this was the best thing to do and that we would have the best outcomes if we did them. But if it turns out that there is no discernible pattern between intensity of intervention and positivity of outcome, positivity in terms of just meaning good outcomes, then that was all a scam. Then that was all wrong of them to say. And we are correct to have been skeptical. Now, in Assembling a study like this, there are certain factors you have to include. You can't just look at raw numbers because then in some cases you really are comparing apples and oranges. For example, if you look at a state like Nevada, and Nevada relies almost entirely on Las Vegas. I mean, you have they have Reno, but they really rely on tourism to Las Vegas. Well, tourism is going to be particularly hard hit. So a state like Nevada is going to look probably worse than, in a sense, it should. So in other words, what you want to try to do is normalize this across the states, correct for the fact that some states are going to have industries that are going to be disproportionately affected by something like COVID and the lockdowns. So Nevada is going to be more affected by that than, say, Nebraska. So they're tourist heavy. You have to factor that. There are a number of other, particularly the service industries, that we're going to be more affected than other types. So what they try to do is correct for this so that we're not blaming state policy for something that was baked into the economic cake already or that we're not giving undue credit to a state that just happened to have a lot of industries that tended to be more insulated from the effects of what happened over the past couple of years. So they actually are very, very careful to do this study in a way that the results will be meaningful. And that also means that when they look at the mortality figures, they're not just looking at raw mortality figures because, well, that could also be misleading because for one thing, we know that there's a massive, massive age differential when it comes to mortality. Between the youngest and the oldest, it's a thousand-fold difference, if not more, So if you're just going to compare the raw numbers, then you're going to be unnecessarily and unjustly criticizing certain states that didn't do anything particularly quote-unquote wrong other than to have a lot of old people living there. So you have to correct for age. Likewise, 
it's helpful too to correct for obesity levels or how common diabetes is in these states because this too is a major factor indicating likelihood of problems with COVID. So what you want to do is look at the results the states would have if they all had the national average of these things, whether age, people being diabetic, stuff like that. And then you can do a genuine comparison between the states. And that's part of the the way that some people arguing in bad faith were making Florida look worse than it really was. Florida actually did really well. Well, you have to compare them according to the right metrics. You have to understand that Florida is notorious for having a lot of older people because that's where people, so many people go to retire. So you have to factor that in. So it turns out, for example, that when you do this, you find that Michigan, governed by the draconian Gretchen Whitmer, turns out not to have done notably better than Florida, which had Ron DeSantis, which for the most part lets you do what you want. At least on the state level, you could do what you want. So that's significant. And that's what we find when we bring out this data. So they look at the combined economic performance for each of the states, again, taking into account the types of economies that the different states have and what industries they rely on and so on. And so when they look at that, they find that the best performing states were ones that actually did have notoriously minor lockdown policies. So South Dakota, Montana, Nebraska, Idaho, and Utah. The worst performance came from Hawaii, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, and Illinois, all of which had notoriously heavy lockdown policies. Now, in terms of education, the authors are going to claim that going to school yields you better health outcomes and yields better economic performance in the long run. Now, you can look at the numbers on that and make up your minds about that, but The key thing is that they're saying the best education performers were Wyoming, Arkansas, Florida, South Dakota, and Utah, the worst being California, Oregon, Maryland, Washington, and Hawaii. And as we know from data from around the world, there's no apparent mortality problem involved with having had the schools open. I mean, you'll recall Sweden has 1.4 million children who remained in school the entire time and not one of them perished, not one. And in terms of hospitalizations, it was virtually none. So what did you get out of a period of of learning loss? Doesn't look like very much. Well, what about overall mortality? Well, in calculating overall mortality, they include as one of the metrics, the researchers include as one of the metrics, all-cause excess death as expressed as a percentage of expected death. So that is to say, one of the ways that people were saying that COVID really, really was something significant was by looking at the existing trend of death numbers in a particular country and then comparing it to where the number of deaths went under COVID and saying, look, if there had been no COVID, this line would have continued to go like this, but because of COVID, it's going like that. So they used this type of approach of having a baseline of so-called expected mortality and then saying, because we're above that baseline, that shows the deadliness of COVID. Well, what we want to talk about here is all-cause excess death. So not just COVID, but all other factors too, because then this measure can also capture some of the deaths caused by lockdown itself. You know, higher drug and alcohol deaths, 
and other factors caused by the lockdowns themselves. So they help you get an overall health package for each of the states that's accurate and that factors in some of the collateral damage done by lockdowns because you're looking at all-cause mortality, which includes lockdown-caused mortality. And so it's true that you can find some lockdown-heavy states, and this is Ryan McMakin points this out over at the Mises Institute blog, you can find some lockdown-heavy states that had decent results. So Hawaii, Vermont, Maine, Oregon, But at the same time, you can also find lockdown-heavy states that did very badly. So, for example, New York, New Jersey, Nevada, Colorado. Ryan also makes the Florida and Michigan comparison that I made a few minutes ago. And then he reminds us about the state of Georgia. Remember Georgia when Georgia first started to open up ever so little in late April 2020. I remember that because I drove up to Georgia because I wanted to see it for myself and go to a restaurant, stuff like that. When they opened up, they were referred to in the mainstream press as having been engaged in an experiment in human sacrifice. Hmm. Well, here's how Ryan, summarizing the findings regarding Georgia in this study, puts it. The state of Georgia, which was accused of embracing, quote, human sacrifice when it abandoned lockdowns early on, ranks better than much of New England. So Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, which was notable for harsh COVID mandates. So the key thing is there is no pattern. There is no pattern. No matter what you did, the virus did what it was going to do. There is no pattern. And there should have been a pattern. Now, today you'll get lockdown people who will try to make excuses for this, or they'll try to pick out one state or another. But if they're being honest with themselves, they know that at the time they started suggesting these policies, they suggested them on the grounds that the differences between lockdown and non-lockdown or lighter lockdown places would be so overwhelmingly clear to everybody that places that didn't implement them would be deeply sorry they hadn't. But that simply has not occurred. And it's not debatable. This has not occurred. So I'm going to link you, if you'd like to look at the study for yourself, I'm going to link you to it at tomwoods.com slash 2108 because it is very, very much worth looking at. And so with that, we wrap up today's episode. And if you like and appreciate the old Tom Woods show that brings you so much comfort and joy and knowledge day in and day out, then support the show at supportinglisteners.com and check out all the goodies you get. You're just going to be embarrassed by how many goodies there are at supportinglisteners.com. I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free. And we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.